this series of Tilly at Home With is sponsored by Wanderlust. I don't know about you, but I've been really enjoying doing yoga at home and I've been using their new Wanderlust TV platform. There's yoga, meditation, breathwork and fitness classes on there and all with world-class teachers from the US and the UK. Great news is they're offering the listeners of this podcast a three-month subscription for just £9 and everything's included in that, so there are no excuses. Just go to tv.wanderlust.com and use the code Tilly at home and find your true north. Welcome to Tilly at Home with John Daniels. John Daniels was the head teacher at a middle school near Newcastle where he taught languages for many years, having gained his MA and PhD thesis on language acquisition at Durham University. After retiring, he travelled out to Cameroon as a volunteer to work with the Environmental and Rural Development Foundation, which seeks to protect the rainforest and its animals. On his return to the UK, John decided to continue to support the foundation and its work by setting up a UK committee, the Cross River Gorilla Project. John is also the chairman of the Tyneweir Heritage Forum and his local heritage group and is often called up as a speaker on the merits of immersion of languages at language conferences. He is married with children and grandchildren and loves to take long walks with his dog in the countryside. Welcome to the podcast, John. I'm so honoured to speak to you today. One absolute pleasure. And we are so excited to be supporting the Cross River Gorillas Project. And please tell us a bit about the charity. Hi, Tilly. Well, I'm really pleased to be here this morning talking from Northumberland, which is about as far away as you can imagine from the rainforest. This all began when I was given a present, and I hate opening presents. And all my family, including you know a lot of little grandchildren, were watching me, and I knew there was something in the envelope which was going to be a surprise. And what it said was, you are going to go trekking gorillas in Cameroon. And as I watched to see how they... My reactions, you know, I wasn't, I really wasn't sure. I've always been interested in natural history and I really wasn't quite sure what it was going to represent. Well, anyway, I, I, I went out to Cameroon and I had a month in the rainforest and the local forest community and trekking gorillas. And uh, when I came back, somebody said to me, has it changed your life? And I said, no, it hasn't changed my life. But in fact, I think probably it has. And what happened is I was asked by Eridef, and that's the Environmental Rural Development Foundation, which is the Cameroon charity that um, is protecting and conserving the gorillas. Um, and they asked me if I would set up a UK branch. Uh, and we did that. And it became, as a charity, the Cross River Gorilla Project. So that's, that's how that began. And then I went back in, this was uh, 2013, and I went back in 2017 when we were looking to develop ecotourism. So that, that really was, was the start. What a brilliant present from your, from your grandchildren. So the, the gorillas out in the Cross River area and in the highlands there, they are critically endangered, said to be the most endangered apes in Africa. Why is that? And what can we do? What can you do? What are you trying to do to, to change that? Right. Well, the Cross River Gorilla, and I've got a, I don't know whether it's worthwhile just holding up a thing there. You can perhaps see it a bit. That's yeah. the only one that used to be in a zoo um, since uh, she's died, and the only one in captivity. The thing about the Cross River Gorilla is it's in a mountainous area, 
in Cameroon. Uh, access and things is quite difficult. They were discovered in the 19th century and then everyone thought they were extinct. And it was only around about the 1960s, 70s, that they discovered they were alive and well. But they're very shy. And probably there's only about uh, 300 left. And so they are therefore the most critically endangered of all the, the great apes. So it, it, it means in terms of conservation, this is, this is really important. Um, you know, you sometimes think, well, is 300 viable? But in fact, I think some of the mountain gorillas in Rwanda and places were down to about 200. And what people say is because they're long lived, if they're allowed to carry on living and breeding and so on, then the numbers can, can come up. Yes, and so it's a, a case of them needing more area to live in. And in the highlands there, there is said to be areas for them to be able to flourish if the humans stop encroaching on their habitat. Yes, I mean, it, it's, it's difficult, this business. I mean, the forest where they are to be found um, is, you know, it, it belongs to the community, if you like, uh, not strictly speaking, but it's always been their forest. And they have protected the gorillas and have a special relationship with them. Uh, we did a questionnaire when I was out um, that the students at uh, biology students at Newcastle University had, had done. And one of the comments that the students uh, made about gorillas in the forest is they said they were like their brothers. So it's not an animal that tends to be hunted, not in this area. And there is, among some people, a belief that somebody came up to me, in fact, and said, well, we will show you gorillas, but they're not real gorillas. They're men transformed into gorillas. So there's a lot of superstition and curious things attached to gorillas. So they are very connected to them in a spiritual way. Yes, and the forest has always been their forest. So you can't do conservation without working with the community. And the community, and we'll perhaps come to this in a minute, has, has huge problems at the minute. Um, there's conflict and, you know, um, military intervention and separatism and everything else. So you have to work with the community to put things in place. And the thing is, the ecotourism is one way to do this. But it's a little bit more complicated in this area because the, the gorillas are so shy. And you're not going to get almost the kind of selfies you get in other areas with gorillas where they stay and, you know, yes. people take photographs. That has never happened with this particular kind of gorilla. You were saying that the area is incredibly beautiful anyway, and the, the rainforest is beautiful. And you can hear the gorillas perhaps not necessarily get very close. I mean, that must be an incredible experience. Well, there is this feeling. It's like being, um, you hear the noises around you, uh, particularly the chimps who are very vocal. The gorillas are much quieter. They, they're vegetarians. They had this terrible wrong reputation of being ferocious and vicious and everything. And in fact, they're really pretty gentle. But I mean, you wouldn't want to disturb them in the wrong kind of way because the uh, the silverbacks would, would attack. Um, probably just um, a defensive thing to start with. So, I mean, you know, they don't go around killing a whole lot of people, but they, they're very special animals. And, I you know, you have respect for them. They're, they're vegetarian, aren't they? So I was reading that they, um, that they contribute a great deal to the, to the planting of tropical plants because of their dis dispersing all the seeds. So they, they, they do a big part in, in the environment out there themselves. Yeah, it's, 
it's 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 uh, it's a, a really important. I mean, everything is linked, mm-hmm. and there's one uh, thing called a, a forest uh, carrot, and it's this this beautiful red fruit, and it hangs down just about that kind of height, and it's obviously designed first of all to attract the gorilla or possibly chimpanzee because it stands out the red against the, um, the green village, shows it's ripe. And all the gorilla has to do is pick it as it wanders through the forest and eat it, spit out, or um, from, the, from the other end, the, the seeds, because the trees in the forest, unlike the trees that we have in our woods, have to, are always in separate places to avoid disease. So if you've got this animal that goes through and spits out as it's walking, away from where the, this, um, this plant was. It means you, you're putting the seeds of the, um, of the plant in a different place, which is what it needs. Now you take yeah. the gorilla out of the equation and it's gonna be difficult for the dispersion of seeds of this particular plant. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that you mentioned just now, so the, the reason that your work is so, so very important at the moment is that there's also conflict going on uh, in that area. So with your charity, you support the rangers to go out and monitor the, the gorillas. And so at the moment, this is more difficult for the rangers. Well, right, that's right. Um, rangers are absolutely essential in a, in a conflict situation, as been proved in a place like Rwanda, where there was one reserve where the rangers were in place. And that meant that actually at the end of the conflict, the gorillas were still intact. In another area, there were no rangers and the gorillas disappeared. Um, the problem at the minute is um, the actual village where I stayed in the, in the, in the forest um, was attacked uh, recently by the military. And I had this telephone call from the person who was my guide, Solomo, um, really distressed and he'd had to get out because of what was happening and abandon the village. And it wasn't just the military, it was also the separatists. So it's a very dangerous situation. So in terms of having uh, ranges in place at the minute, it's, it's difficult and it may be impossible at this particular point of time. But the thing is, is in a way, like you're saying, the, the more problematic the situation, the more of emergency it is, the more important it is to support. And yeah. one of the thing, one of the things we're doing is supporting the refugees who've moved out of the area into safe areas. Okay, so you so you're supporting the families really of the rangers and the and the community at the moment. That, that's your, that's right. Yes, it's your first point of call in order that they can then work towards protecting the gorillas. Yes, I think if if it's shown that um, we are supporting and Aerodef are supporting. Uh, refugees, it, it, you know, this this shows that we're not just interested in protecting the gorillas. We, we're working with the community as well. Yes. And I know that the High Commissioner in Cameroon, Rowan Laxton, that you as the charity is in contact with him as well. So what's his response to the situation? Well, I mean, he, as a, as a UK government official, he has to talk and, and see if anything, you know, know what's happening really. And he's been very helpful for us because um, one of the things we're doing is education. And the education thing is really important. And we have been, during the present crisis in, in the UK with, a, with a COVID, we have been working on a, a gorilla pack for homeschooling. Um, but also we want to go ahead and, and do something in Cameroon. 
so to teach the children in Cameroon about you know the wonderful wildlife and how important it is to conserve them. And this is where um, the High Commissioner uh, Rowan Laxton has been has been supporting us from an economic perspective. This is their unique selling point that they've got gorillas in the in the forest um, there and all sorts of other incredible and threatened animals and special plants. Um, and if the forest goes, um, then this potential of developing ecotourism later also goes. So the whole thing sort of fits together. So could you explain a bit about why their habitat has been infringed upon? Yes. The problem is that everybody in this community is a farmer. That's what they do. They all have their, their plots of land. And because the, the population is booming, there's something like 70% uh, of the population in this area is 11 or under. Well, you can imagine what that represents. It means they need more land um, to feed the population. Uh, so when you go into school and you see the children with their great blue school uniforms and things, you notice in surprise that under their desks, they've got machetes and hoes. And so what's happened before they came to school is they've been working on the vegetable plot um, and they will go back to working on that when they, they finish school. And this is kids of quite small kids, you know, 11-year-olds, 10-year-olds, and so on. Now, what it means is they're steadily taking more of the forest. And there was one day when we'd been climbing about two and a half hours, because this is, this is highlands, it's quite difficult terrain. And we came across this young family. There was a, a mother with a babe in arms and the uh, husband. And they were using slash and burn to establish a little farm up in this, this part of the forest all the way, all this way from the community. Well, the problem is that if this happens continuing on a big scale, then it's, you know, the, the, the forest is, is damaged. And you can see when you're down in the community, you can see smoke rising up, which represents yeah. another place where there is slash and burn. So it's not here like it is in other areas, big problems with logging, where you've got commercial problems, this is a population that is booming and which needs more land in order to be able to feed its, um, its, its young people. But of course, in the, in the conflict situation, um, it's slightly different because what's happened is um, the rebels have moved into the forest, which is not good because they're probably having, well, they're going to have to feed on the forest. The military are frightened of the forest because there'll be town uh, people, mainly soldiers who come come from the towns. And they are very superstitious about going to the forest, so they don't do that. So there's some sort of protection for rebels to be in the forest. Um, so it means that, you know, if, if people have fled the villages and things, there's not the current problems in terms of um, agriculture. The problem is about the, the rebel soldiers actually in the forest. Yeah, and so what disturbing the gorillas and or destroying some of their, their food sources? Yes, I, I think the problem is without rangers in place, we don't know exactly what's happening. There's supposed to be something like 3,000 um, rebel so separatist soldiers were the, in the forest area. Now, what Eredef did is they set up this reserve, the Tafala uh, Wildlife uh, uh, Reserve, which is a really good move and it's quite difficult to do. So that was, was protecting things, but now things have gone back a bit because obviously the, 
the new demands and, and difficulties. Yes, and so you continue to support the Rangers uh, as as much as for them to be able to do as much as they can in this situation, and meanwhile concentrating on setting up education systems for Cameroon and educating people in the UK. Yeah, I think one of the unexpected and perhaps um, areas of conservation is the whole business of education. If you if you teach children the value of the forest around them and the, you know, about the incredible animals that are to be found there. As they grow up, they're going to have a different attitude to the forest than before. But everything is a bit on an emergency footing. But if we can get some education packs into schools in Cameroon, with the support of the High Commission and also the IUCN, that's going to be really, really good. In terms of the rangers, what we're interested in doing is trying to support the rangers and make sure they've got money to send their children to school. Uh, and the children will be away in the, uh, there's a, a town called Chang in the French speaking part of Cameroon, which because it's not the English speaking bit where the separatists uh, are fighting for independence is, is a safe area. So what we'd really like to do, and as we're talking, I've got a telephone call on uh, Saturday with Solomo, is to try to see what the possibility is of getting the rangers back in some way. Yes. I, th I think the thing is that you, you get a crisis, so the military come into the village and the separatists come into the village and you have to leave a bit of time before you can go back and, and do things. But it, I mean, none of this, none of this is easy. No, but um, it's, it's funny. There's a real, um, you know, what you were saying about the rangers, you know, getting their children into school. It's a bit like what's happened in England recently. Everyone trying to work with their kids at home. And actually what, what, what everybody has realised is that the kids really need to go to school, A, for their education for the future, but also for, to, to enable the adults to get on with their work and, and keep going. So it's that's right. It's the same for the Rangers, you know, if their kids are safe and taken care of and being educated, they can actually do what they, they can to, to keep an eye on the gorillas, which is what, you know, and to report back to you guys and Eredef. So that, that's a fantastic mission. I think so. It's um, all of it is complicated. I mean, it was difficult enough before we were going to go for a hostel and ecotourism, a hostel research center, and it was straightforward. Um, now the situation's changed and, you know, a bit like the, the COVID crisis and everything else, you, you have to adapt. And, and what we did, we were, we were producing material for English schools on, the, on Cameroon and the rainforest. And so we concentrated instead on homeschooling. Um, and that's gone down well. And we, we're sending, um, we got contacts with America and Germany and Australia and so on, where people are using this material. Yeah. So it, it, it's exciting the way that has developed. But the core problem, um, well, there's the two things. One, supporting the women who very often find themselves alone with their children in the, in the refugee areas. Quite a lot of them will have, um, may have family they can stay with. Uh, but in other cases, you know, there's, there's huge problems because, you know, they're on the breadline. And um, anything we can do to help that working with, there's, a, there's part of Eredef is a, an organization run by Luna Kembe's um, wife uh, called Lucia. And she's been working with the women in, in Cameroon in this area. And she was a teacher, so she knows about education and things as, as well. We're just interrupting this episode to tell you about one of our brilliant sponsors and my most favorite jewelry brand, Salome. 
Salome produced the most stunning handmade jewellery inspired by the power of natural gemstones. As ambassadors to the Cross River Gorilla Project, Salome have created the Leveland Highland Collection and are donating 10% of all sales to the charity. Inspired by the natural beauty of the Cameroonian rainforest home of the Cross River Gorilla, it features rainforest jasper and moonstone, which are a stunning combination and provide both balance and a deeper connection to nature. So go to their website www.salomedesigns.co.uk and treat yourself to a beautiful piece of jewellery and help the Cross River Gorilla Project to continue with its important work protecting these magnificent Cross River Gorillas, their rainforest habitat and the surrounding communities. You can also find Salome on Instagram at Salome underscore designs. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the gorillas themselves. You mentioned earlier, they've had a bad stereotype, really, haven't they? King Kong and, and things like people thinking that they're aggressive and frightening is a complete, completely wrong. But really, they're vegetarian. They live in the small communities. Could you just talk a little bit more about their sort of day to day life? Yes. I mean, I could. Can I read you a bit from my diary, which might be useful? That would be lovely. So you wrote a diary when you were out there in the rainforest. Yes. And it was very high up there, isn't it? Yes. It, you got to about a um, thousand meters, thousand five hundred meters, and you can imagine in the heat and things. Actually, the rainforest itself is quite cool because of the effect of the trees. Um, but uh, it, I mean, it is. Some of it is is hard work and difficult as you you scramble through things. Some of it is much easier to walk through. And the trails that the chimps and the gorillas have made make it easier to, to go. There are lots of us listening who are very sort of deprived explorers. And the thought of traveling to such a beautiful area and having an adventure like, like you had is just seems like a dream at the moment. So I'd love you to read from your diaries. And we okay, can... I'll read, read little bits. Um, the first one was right at the beginning. And it's Camp in the Rainforest at 570 meters. And obviously, each day you'd climb up further in the village of Pasali. And the interesting thing is it says 2.30 a.m. And it, it starts, I've been in my tent generally sleeping since 6.30. So now is a good time to set things down. There is some big writing to do about being here, exiled completely from everything familiar and known. Outside, there is a constant rush of the waterfall and the orchestral business of cicadas who build up a great crescendo of noise and seemed to get into swoops of enormous excitement and emotion in the short intervals between the crashes of thunder and flashes of lightning as the tropical storm rages around us. Something with long, soft, furry legs keeps walking over me, but he seems to be friendly. And there's this feeling of being in a tent and you, you know, you're miles away from anything familiar and there are strange noises coming out of the bush like something that you know goes bump in the night, you have no idea what it is. And that is, is quite scary. You do feel isolated and you do feel, you know, you come an awful long way. Yeah, you're quite vulnerable at that point, aren't you? Well, you, you feel vulnerable, particularly at the beginning. Um, and I found that um, going through the forest, you're thinking about snakes as a very nasty Gabon viper that is very well camouflaged um, with very nasty venom, but actually apparently not particularly aggressive. But I didn't see one of those. But as you're walking, you think about that. And then you think about, you know, maybe you fall because uh, it's some of it's pretty steep. And what would happen if you fell? And, you know, because you're so far away from 
there wasn't even a hospital or anything in the in the community at the time. And you'd have to get down to the community anyway. Now, let's let's come back to one particularly to do with uh, gorillas. So this was a, a few a few days later. And I'm writing at night and I used to have to keep myself um, uh, happy. And uh, I would have bits of chocolate and nuts and reward myself because it was very difficult to sleep. And to write notes was very difficult because it was so humid, the pencil would go through the paper of the, of the notebook. Shortly after this, things kicked off. We found evidence for chimps, old nests. Then Solomon said quietly, something coming down. And I distinctly heard something approaching, coming towards us, somewhere just ahead, a few yards away. The noise of footsteps on the dried leaves, impossible to move silently through the forest at this time of year. The noises stopped and we waited, crouched down for perhaps an hour. There was some faint tapping, but nothing else. Speaking later, Solomon said he knew it was a large animal and from its behavior, a gorilla, which on realizing we were there would simply disappear, vanish into the forest. A chimp would have screamed out in alarm. There's much about the gorilla, which is both mysterious and hugely appealing, an animal to respect. And campfire at night, you would sit around, middle of the forest, and I started telling stories of the things I knew. For example, I did um, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Mm-hmm. They didn't know about it at all. And they told stories about gorillas and chimpanzees in the forest and how you never got them together, which didn't quite fit with the situation we had where the chimps were around all the time. Chimps are more inquisitive then to... Chimps, uh, yes. Chimps are evident all the time. And I mean, if we got time, I got an, another reading of um, an incident with the chimps, which was quite was quite exciting. Oh, do read that. Okay. This was after... This was about two weeks later. And we'd been following this group of chimps up through very difficult terrain. It was, you know, you had to bend your head down. And it was like brambles at your feet. And and we knew there was a group of about 21 and we knew we were getting closer. And then suddenly uh, it all happened. So I'll pick it up from there. All hell then broke loose as an, an impressive orchestrated response to our presence. The chimps roar and howl and most surprising hurled rocks down the steep slides of the sides of the ravine towards us, landing with a crash which echoes around the valley like gunshots. Most impressive. Meanwhile, we can see as part of this display the leaves of the trees just above us being violently shaken in a similar display of aggression. They're careful not to come into view. Although I fixed the branches with my binoculars, there was no sign of as much as a furry hand shaking the leaves. Although we have no visual, this is far closer than we've ever been before. I don't get to record the full initial burst of sound from them, but do manage a secondary response, a bit faint, but can possibly increase the volume. I've tended to prefer gorillas as the chimps, but this display of anger is impressive. The controlled response pointing to organization, presumably a leader choosing the exact moment to respond. The thing is that you had complete silence and you had a group of chimps with young chimps and he kept them all quiet and waited until a certain moment and it was organized and orchestrated and then they reacted together. Wow. And the boulders they were rolling down, I mean, had, had we been in the direction of them, we would have been in trouble. And chimps can actually attack, which can be nasty too. And, and uh, what, what animals would they be normally, you know, 
aggressive, well, attacking or defensive towards them. That's that's a very interesting point. And I think the thing is that particular behavior, which is which is like using tools, which they're famous for. So to roll boulders down is 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 developing a system. And I think probably it would be developed originally against uh, leopards. Right. Although they're going to not really catch a leopard that way. And the other thing you know about leopards is the chimps tend to put their nests up a height so that the leopard can't actually get down to them. Um, and they, they also, the chimp nests tend to be at a point where they're on a ridge and could, often can look down at the human uh, habitation. So they just see what's going on. Yes, I did read somewhere that they thought that the reason that a gorilla, when going back to the gorillas, would yeah. ever kind of throw a stick or be, um, you know, throw grass at, at, at people would, would have been left over from when they, the reaction they were given by um, coming in contact with humans around a farm, say, that that's, they might have had things thrown at them, which is where they picked up that kind of behaviour. I think that I think that's true. Yes. Um, the thing is, nobody very much has even seen these gorillas. Um, there was a great uh, camera trap view of a, uh, a family of gorillas in Nigeria, just across the border, where this this uh, the Cross River gorilla also is to be found. But that was really special. And even the people who've lived there and have hunted and looked around for gorillas for a long time don't actually see them. They're very careful to keep out of the way. Um, and it means then in terms of ecotourism, you have to get over the expectation that, oh, you're going to see these animals and get this idea that you develop observation skills. And we were already do the induction kind of stuff before all the, all the conflict happened. Gorillas, you, you find lots of evidence for. Um, they tend to like to eat bananas and things. And if they find a, a banana plantation or plantain plantation, they will, they like, they, they don't, it's the fruit they like, but also they will eat the tenderest leaves. Okay. Um, and that's what they go for. And of course, if they start doing that, then they enter in conflict with humans. And you've got the problems that you've got in lots of areas where farmers are not happy to have the big animals around. Yeah, yeah. As a as a group, they they live in very small groups. And is it between the one male and a few females, and they they stay together for a while? How does that kind of actually? That sounds like quite a nice option. Just one one man, and you're hanging out with the girls. That sounds great. Yes, yes. I think um, what tend that would tend to be the the position. You would have some young adults, but they would be the leader. Um, but the problem is they're so. Um, they're so rare and it would be difficult for a young male to leave and go to another group, which is what would, would need to happen. And there was a very sad story as we just came out of the forest. Uh, news came to us that um, a gorilla had been killed, a young gorilla. And one of the Aerodef team was sent off on a motorbike to the place where this had happened, which is out of the forest. And the story was that there was a, uh, a young teacher and they'd gone to tend her potato crop. It shows this is highland area. And looked up and saw this animal that terrified her. And she rushed down, she was a teacher, so she rushed down to the school and there was a big poster on the wall and she saw it was a gorilla. And then she went to the gendarme in the, in the community and said, you know, she'd seen this animal. And the organizer, a posse of, of, of men to go and sort this out. And they found the gorilla in a small, clump of, uh, of trees and 
they then attacked it and clubbed it and killed it. And the the, the person who went out to see what had happened um, reported that the gorilla was actually crying and, you know, and it's a, a dreadful story. But there is also outside the area, there will be this superstition that these are terrible animals. So that's one of the reasons why the education thing is, is so important. Yeah, and bringing back the traditional values and relationship that, that people had with the, with the rainforest and the animals. That's right. It's really important. And of course, if, if you're hungry, you know, some of the, the values uh, are going to go and change. Gorillas, it would be difficult to attack because of the, the size um, and the power of the, of the silverback. Whereas chimps, it's it's probably a bit easier. Yeah, and and they they live. What what is the sort of they live for a long time? The gorilla. So what's their sort of age range? So because as you were saying earlier, the good thing about that is that if you if they do if their environment is protected enough, there's a chance for this group of three hundred to expand. Yes, I think probably we're talking about thirty years, but you know they. There are dangers. Um, they could get caught in a trap or something because there's a lot of trapping. People don't say they're hunters. They tend to say they they trap. And Solomon used to be a, a trapper. Mm. So you'd have you would build special traps. And the last time I was in the forest, that we went with a um, a ranger, a government ranger, and obviously the government rangers are French speaking, and, and they wouldn't be back in the area at all because it would be it would be too dangerous. And they they would smash any any trap they came to, yeah. um, and to make sure that didn't happen. But you know there are going to be occasions where young chimps and things, and maybe young gorillas get caught. Because some of the the highlands, that very high rainforest, is that quite inaccessible to to humans? So is that that it, that works in the advantage of the gorillas that they've got that if there's not not too much logging. And agriculture, they've got these kind of difficult areas to access. To, to... I, yes, I think. But you see, the fact that we found this family up a, up a height in that kind of area. The thing is, as you go, Cameroon is really special because unlike um, a lot of the rainforest, um, this is a highland area. And so as you go higher and walk through the forest, you come to an area which is called submontane. Um, which means that you've got um, slightly less trees and things, and the plants change because the climate is a bit cooler. Now, I don't know that anybody knows, but it's probably likely that originally these gorillas were not living in this area, but through force of circumstances and things, they retreated into an area which is less less habitated, inhabited, and and so on. I, I think the, the interesting thing and the thing that people will probably connect with is this need for us globally to protect these rainforests and the and conservation for climate change. It's it's not just about protecting the gorillas, isn't it? It's protecting the environment, which is you know for the gorillas, but also for for everybody in the in the world. Yeah, I think this is something people are, are slowly beginning to appreciate. The rainforest isn't just about protecting a few animals; it's protecting a particular ecosystem. Preserving the rainforest and what the rainforest can do is it's this carbon capture and it means it's, it's the whole thing is, is a better world. Now you destroy the rainforests and you um, do as they're doing in Brazil and places and put cattle there. And actually that's the worst possible situation in terms of climate. So yeah. species extinction and um, 
climate uh, change are both contained in this. So we, one of the arguments we have is that um, there is this one area we're dealing with and in education and just generally talking about it, we can make the case that for all the problems that happen in rainforest, you can actually see in this, in this one area. And rather than for children, you know, talking generally, well, there's the Amazon and, and so on, you talk about this particular area with this iconic animals and you can get across these messages about how important they are for climate change and species extinction. We have to have, I mean, such an iconic animal, the gorilla. Yeah. And a large uh, animal. Your lovely daughter-in-law was telling me that there has been a case for perhaps trying to get human rights for gorillas. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, I mean, there is a whole move uh, where people are saying that we should give special status to animals in general, but particularly to the great apes because of the way they are, the way they behave and how close they are to us. People are looking at how legally they, they could actually be protected. And I know there's someone at Newcastle University who we've been talking to has, has been interested in this side of things. Uh, there's also another argument to say that you look at a forest area and you look at the communities and everything in it as a whole. So you don't separate the, the people from the animals um, and you try to work out the best kind of system for everybody. But the problem is with the booming population and things, the pressure is increasing on the, on the forest in terms of um, survival. So organizations like Eredef, um, the organization and charity we're helping are really important because that helps um, develop these ideas and protect these, um, you know, the, the rainforest. Yes, yeah, because long, long term, you can see that they have this incredible resource there and, you know, and, you know, with the potential of ecotourism in the future could bring a lot of money into that area and to those communities, but the, it, they just need to hang on to them, right? That's right. It's, it's the future economic advantage of this unique selling point. If most areas don't have uh, a gorilla in the forest around them, and increasingly people want to go out, uh, you mentioned explorers, and the idea of doing something slightly, well, very much different, but also challenging, is something a lot of people like. Um, and if we get a better situation it gets safer and you get start getting people through and particularly for the reasons I, I said that it's difficult to actually see the animals what you do is you train people to observe and record take photographs take notes and therefore they're going to be able to provide evidence for what's going on and evidence is really really needed so yes you can do sort of working holidays and I hear that you have a wonderful new patron for the charity, which is very exciting. Uh, which is very exciting. So Lady Amelia uh, Windsor has agreed to be our patron, and that opens up all kinds of uh, uh, possibilities. I think that's really exciting. Yeah. I mean, I think what, we, what we're about to do is we want to move on membership. Um, we want people to sign up. We won't charge them, but we will give them information about what we're doing. We have a newsletter and, and so on. And get them to feel engaged in the whole business of rainforest conservation and protecting uh, the Cross River Gorilla and the threatened uh, Nigerian Cameroon uh, chimpanzee. 
so this gives us a real boost. I mean, we're a, a Northeast charity. We started quite small due to uh, my daughter-in-law, Kelly, who is terrific and got such enthusiasm. We managed to have events at Kew Gardens. That was, that was terrific. Obviously, at the minute, we've had to quieten down a bit because of the coronavirus, but we would hope to hit the ground running uh, once things get, get better. And we've adapted in that we did the homeschooling as a way to deal with the early uh, elements of lockdown. And certainly, I think there are, there are lots of exciting possibilities. And people engaging and signing up to us might come up with their own innovative ideas about, you know, how best to talk to people and proceed. It's a wonderful dynamic and very and a young charity. And I think there's a real opportunity for people to get involved and actually make a difference. And all of your donations go directly out to Cameroon and to the communities and to the rangers. And, and that's also a wonderful thing to know that every every bit of money anybody donates or or signs up to or buys. You've got some wonderful paintings on your website that people can can buy. So it's it's great to know that people can actually make a difference straight away. Yeah, the make a difference, I think, is very important. You want to be able to do something. If you're signing up for a charity, you want to feel that, um, you know, you, you're doing something. And and you, you're sort of ticking a box here. You're saying, I am engaging with the problems around us in terms of uh, climate change, in terms of species extinction. And this is something, um, you know, I can talk about to other people and I can show that I'm, I'm doing something. And a lot of the big charities, animal conservation charities, are, are very big and have huge costs. Well, we're very small, and it means it's easier for us to get money uh, more directly out to the refugees, for example, who are in, who fled the area, the Anglo-speaking area, um, and find themselves, um, you know, in, in a difficult situation. It's a wonderful charity, and you know, for for me with the podcast, it's been an amazing opportunity to get involved. And you you guys were super enthused when I suggested it. That to, to become a part of the podcast. So there really is opportunities for content creators, artists, uh, people to get involved and to make a difference, whether you're donating, whether you're signing up, whether you're sharing this episode of the podcast so other people can listen to John talking or reposting. You've got a great Instagram, reposting, just getting the word out. And I think what's, what's lovely is that you feel that by getting involved with you guys, you're doing something for this wonderful, beautiful, iconic animal. And and the environment, which is in many ways doing something for your own families and your own lives. So it, it has a lovely connection to us and to the animals. And yeah, thank you so much, John. It's been my pleasure. And as, you, as you're saying, it is about making a difference and actually being out there and, and, and supporting something that I, th- I think is really, really worthwhile. Yeah, I know. Well, everybody share this podcast, follow Cross River Gorilla Project, sign up to the website, have a look. There's so you've got loads of great videos and news up there, and um, and we'll look forward to doing lots of exciting things in the future with you, and hopefully coming out to coming out to Cameroon one day. That would Come be and visit. Would... Yes, yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, you know, I read bits of uh, what it was like in the forest and noises outside, but it is an amazing experience. And there are people who do these things about these terrible bike rides and things, but you can do something a bit different and go out in the forest, and it's 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 worthwhile on a different kind of level. Thank you so much, John, for giving us the time. And thank you so much for your support of the podcast. And very excited to be involved with you guys. We're very pleased to be able to talk to you. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Bye, Tilly. Thanks very much.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Please take a moment to rate or review the show and also share it with anyone that you think might enjoy it. You can follow me on Instagram at Tilly at Home With or email me tillyathomewith at gmail.com. <laughs>